Welcome. Thank you for choosing to satisfy your hunger with our eighth bonus food podcast. True story. I was in Budapest one time struggling with a menu that was only in Hungarian. And I asked the waitress for some help. And she went down the line pointing at the different items. This is meat, she said. This is red. This is green. And to be fair, she was telling the truth. But I was still left guessing. Worse, though is the thought that the word you are looking for flat out doesn't exist in the local language. Let's say, for example, the word vegetarian. You're listening to 2233, a podcast of exchange stories. Food, 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 food. Food. (laughs) This week, the dangers of tumbum deep-fried duck bill, and an exotic little-known dish called white rice. Join us on a journey around the world to tickle your taste buds. It's 2233. We report what happens in the United States, warts and all. These exchanges shaped who I am. When you get to know these people, they're not quite like you. You read about them. They are people very much like ourselves. And it is. Oh, that's what we call cultural exchange. Ooh, yeah. When I came first time to USA, I think 2004, I think if I'm not wrong, first time I tested pizza. And that was also very surprising. I went to, we got a very good stipend that time and then we were, we were taking food outside. So then I went to a place and they show one round shaped thing and they're selling, and what is this? Local pizza. How does it taste? People like, try it. Like, okay, no problem. So I can try it. So far I'm not getting dying. Then the guy told, if those guys are not dying, you are not going to die, my brother. <laughs> and I'm fine. So I tried it. There's a fast testing of pizza and I really liked it. Uh, nowadays I take less because it's quite a big of cheesy, so I don't take pizza. Uh, but my daughter loves it. He, she got the jeans from me. So that is one food. And then I brought good number of Indian food. Uh, because always we go somewhere, we carry our own food. This time also I carry my own food. I love it, actually. And people loved our food, loved our food. And all the people, not even the f- fellow participants and the fellow scholars, but also wherever you go, and we brought, the, I took the food with me, with me to them. And l- rather than me, they're loving my food. <laughs> so that was very funny. Second. Third thing is that um, I also learned different cooking styles. Like uh, this time, I, I was hosted by Crystal in Lincoln and her husband is one of the best chef in Lincoln and that guy was amazing he's also a very good singer and both of them hosted superb dinner party at her home and then his uh, her husband was explaining me how I can make different vegetarian salads and I reco- I just learned from him and even at night I uh, shared with my wife so my wife came with a very nice compliment okay learned it come back do it <laughs> so it was really food is super it can unite you very fast i really liked it oh man food and samoa 
I was vegetarian when coming to Samoa. There is not like a word for that. <laughs> There's no word versus vegetarian. You know, it'd be like, oh, so here's fish or here's chicken. So my diet was quite limited. So I did end up becoming a pescatarian so that, you know, I could actually engage. I mean, especially when we were out in the community doing the surveys and interviewing people and doing focus groups, you know, you were part of and parcel of that experience is you're given food, you're welcomed to the table, and it would look very bad if I didn't eat, you know, what I was so graciously given. So that was sort of definitely something that was added. In any sort of island culture, you have quite limited things that actually get imported in that um, so many of us missed sort of dairy products, any type of cheese. You'll be on WhatsApp chains with, um, you know, Australian counterparts, Kiwi counterparts, and it'll be like, guys, you know, this grocery store, this little shop, it just got a import of camembert. Like, come quickly because it'll be gone in five minutes because people will just, like, be like, yes, I missed that. So we managed to get this gigantic wheel of camembert cheese, and we were all so excited, so we took it to um, one of, you know, the many beaches. You go to the beach every weekend. You uh, stay in uh, these sort of beautiful, open, sleeping out on the beach, kind of like they're called fales. And it's just like, you know, a typical weekend experience, except for this time we had a gigantic wheel of camembert cheese. But when you haven't had something for that long and then you sort of gorge yourself on it, all of us were just like completely sick because we had way too much of it. And so, yeah, that sort of can happen often. Yeah. And, you know, one of the major issues that a small island developing state like Samoa deals with is making sure that the food that gets imported and the food that is in the diets is healthy. Samoans are known for being quite large. So yeah, it was definitely an adjustment. I actually grew up vegetarian and didn't start eating meat till college, but it was very far and few in between. Uh, however, I knew I didn't really have much of an option there since most of the diet was meat heavy. So came to terms with the fact that I was eating noodles and beef and pork for breakfast every day, which I never thought was a breakfast meal, but I kind of got used to it after a while. At one of the research stations in Malaysia, every time, every time, like a, a group of people, whether it was a group of tourists or a group of researchers, would would leave, they would throw like a little barbecue, like a little party for for everybody to say goodbye. You like get a bunch of people out in the woods and having a reason to celebrate, and they 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 really go for it. So you know, like they you you'll have they'll have like beer and and uh, and some uh, some drinks and stuff like that. And then late into the night, they'll um, they would uh, some of the staff there would bring out the the local wine or local local uh, alcohol called tumpung, which is is basically fermented from rice. I don't know how it's traditionally done, but the only way I ever saw it was there's rice in like a an old water bottle that's been cut off, and the, the top has been cut off. 
and then they put water in it and it just ferments over you know days or, or however long it takes and they put the they put plastic over the top with a rubber band so you get it and and it kind of it almost reminds me of like getting like a bubble tea sort of because it's like this big plastic cup and then a plastic thing over the top and then you you take it out they put a straw in it and they pour water in so then you like drink more and more and more of it and and the first like couple sips it's just like sour rice right and then some of the rice like comes up which really adds to the the like boba sensation of it all and so I was like drinking it. It's like it's not terrible, but it's not something that I would like choose to drink per se. And the one of the the guys that was was working there that had had brought the the tumpung, he he saw saw me like testing it out, and he's like, "Oh, don't worry. The amazing thing about tumpung is like, you drink some of it, you take that first sip, and it's it's intense, and then you drink more of it, and the more you drink, the smoother it tastes." And I was like isn't that sort of true of all alcohol? <laughs> like the more you drink of it, the less you're going to taste it. So I like, you know, I didn't want to burst his bubble or anything, but I think like that's sort of like a universal truth of alcohol. Yeah, it was, you know, again, one of those things, it's like people like make it in their home and they're sort of making their own supply of it. So it was actually really generous of them to like bring it out and let everyone try it. So, um, so yeah. I was trying to cook the Jordanian traditional food of mansaf. You cook meat in yogurt and dried concentrated yogurt that's a little bit salty. Which is a lot salty, it's not a little bit salty. And you cook rice next to it. You serve it all together with, with a little bit of you know pine seeds, what do you call them, almonds, roasted almonds and all of that. So it's pretty good, but it's really you know heavy on the stomach. But the first time I made it, it's not supposed to be you know, blackish. It's supposed to be white, hence the yogurt. Uh, so it came out all burnt out. Then I did it again. That was on the same day. Then I tried to make it again. And it came out like red, brown color. So I burned it but a little. So the third time it came out like reddish. The third time I was like, Mom, I'm sorry, I'm calling you. You're telling me what to do exact step by step. So my mom was, was with me on the phone. She's like, don't do this, do that. Lower the heat now and raise it now. And uh, Finally, I made it. It took me like six hours, seven hours on a Sunday to make it. But I made it and we were like really late for dinner. But everybody ate mansaf and just passed out. Like, just went to sleep. We can't function anymore. Indonesians are always saying, um, what's your favorite Indonesian food? Which is hard to answer because I like everything. And then the, then they'll often ask me if I eat rice. Because I guess, I guess people have the idea that Americans just have never had rice and it must be so strange. And, you know, I, you know and I know that that's not true, that we have rice here <laughs> and it's not really considered <laughs> an, exotic, uh, an exotic dish. So the number of times that I've explained that, yes, that I eat rice, and that, yes, I've tried a lot of Indonesian food and like them all.
Oh, I remember one time I thought I was eating dried clams, and they were actually dried sea slugs, or act- dried sea worms, not even slugs. I remember um, thinking, this is not a tasty treat. Although I guess if you deep fry anything and put enough salt on it, it's fine. So in Cambodia, they eat tarantulas, and I think they're called fire ants, crickets. Now, most of them are deep fried. A lot of them are disguised. I have to tell you, I really tried to be brave enough to do it, and I just couldn't get the tarantula in my mouth. Duck bills in China, that was interesting. Yes. Duck bills, I think, again, were fried there you don't even know what they are until you look really carefully and it's literally the bill the snout the mouth of a duck again here i am making judgment it probably they probably all taste like chicken a little olive oil and salt you know canola oil and salt it's probably all taste the same i i try to be completely open-minded when it comes to foreign foods And I'm pretty good. Like, I can handle a lot of spicy foods. But when it comes to the really different, as much as I can try to respect a different culture, yeah. Part of my thinking, I I have to get through the next five days. So if this is going to make me sick, then I'm in trouble. (laughs) Not that a duck bill would make me sick, but... I passed through this... uh stage where you're exposed to the American food per se when I was on my YAS program and the exchange before when I was younger. So of course we were all fascinated by all the fast food and stuff. But when I came to DC actually, uh, this was a moment where I was uh, happy to to cook for myself and eat healthier. So I really barely ate out. Uh, I was happy to go to either Whole Foods or Trader Joe's and get my healthy food and cook and go to my classes, go to the gym, come back, uh, share a meal with our roommates. We had someone from India, from Norway, from the UK, from the US. It was a blend of different cultures, but we all were just like cooking and uh, making sometimes Lebanese dishes or Indian dishes and sharing them together. So I think the only thing that I was fascinated to try was the Georgetown cupcakes, <laughs> which you have to stand in line forever to get it. So I remember once I passed by and there was no one in line, so I went in and tried it, and it was nice. is produced by The Collaboratory, an initiative within the U.S. State Department's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs, better known as ECA. My name's Christopher Wurst. I'm the director of The Collaboratory. 2233 is named for Title 22, Chapter 33 of the U.S. Code, the statute that created ECA. And our stories come from participants of U.S. government-funded international exchange programs. In this episode, our taste buds were tempted by Kamal Thomas, Biplob Paul, Kevin McLean, Joanna Gusman, Neda Rizvanovich, Ali Makale, 
Janet Steele, Robin Hauser, and Natalie Nasser Aldean. We thank them all for their stories and their willingness to try new things. For more about ECA exchanges, check out eca.state.gov. For more about 2233, you can write to us at ECA Collaboratory at state.gov. That's ECA C O L L A B O R A T O R Y at state.gov. You can find us and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And you can get complete episode transcripts and photos of the interviewees at our webpage at eca.state.gov slash 2233. Special thanks this week to everybody for trying new things, for living to tell the tale, and then for telling it. Featured music during this segment was Marble Arch by Dave Brubeck. Monkeys Spitting Monkeys by Kevin McLeod was heard at the top of this episode, and the end credit music was Two Pianos by Tagir Lius. Until next time.